want to talk to you today about the presence of God. So if you'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 33, uh, that's what we're going to uh, be talking about. That's where we're going to focus our attention today. We are, of course, doing as a church life in the spirit. Uh, so every other week we're gathering together to learn something more about what it means to be a spirit-filled people, uh, to be a people who understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit living inside of them and to express some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings and to see that build up the church, strengthen uh, Christ's body and to help us to share the good news of Jesus, among other things. Um, but today I'd really like to talk about the presence of God itself. Um, and so I'm going to leave those uh, gifts of the Spirit to one side because we're going to be dealing with those during Life in the Spirit in some detail and later on in the year as well. Let me just read these few verses from Exodus 33. This is Moses speaking to God. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me to lead these people, but you haven't let me know who you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Now this is, as I said, a commissioning moment for Moses. He's already been leading the people for some time, for some years. Um, and here they are at, the, at that moment where the, uh, the Ten Commandments have been given. God is interacting with Moses. Now down the mountain, the people are busy making idols and starting to worship other gods. So it's not all good news. But here we have this incredible encounter between Moses and God. And there's a few things I'd like to pull out from this passage before we move on to others. Firstly, Moses says this to God. In the midst of all the other things happening, he says, I want to know you. He says that in verse 13, teach me your ways so I may know you. Moses wants to know God. The fact that that's even possible is an incredible reality. And Moses speaking with God says, I want to know you. I want to know the essence of what it means to be a believer. It's not to sign up to a bunch of rules and regulations, but to have a relationship, to know someone, to know God. And Moses is getting this even way back there in Exodus. I want to know you. And he says, I want to know you. I want to know what it is to be in your presence. And he knows something of that. And the, and the Israelites, as they have followed Moses and followed God they've known something of that and we'll talk about that in a moment but he also says this Moses says what else will distinguish us from all the other people on the earth it's your presence that makes us stand out it's your presence that makes us different you see the other nations around they they were religious too they had their gods had their idols they had their rituals they had their sacrifices on the surface it might have looked very similar but they didn't have the presence of God. This is what separated them. This is what made them unique. This is what made them stand out. And Moses knows this. He's aware of it. And this presence of God was observable, tangible. 
They had the, the pillar of cloud in the day and the pillar of fire at night. They had the glory of God coming down upon the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And so the people of God and Moses himself could observe day by day the presence of God leading and dwelling around and amongst the people of God. Let's read something of this in Exodus 33. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Sometimes we, we say tabernacle. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the temple. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their own tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now there's all sorts of things we could say about that. But I want us to understand and see that they, they stood at the entrance of their tents. You know, we've been on these Christian weekends away and Bible weeks and we've been camping and we've, we've uh, enjoyed uh, the weather sometimes, but we've stood at the entrance of our tent. Can you imagine? Can you just picture the scene with this huge nation? All of them coming out of their tents and observing God descending in a cloud of, uh, upon the tabernacle with Moses and Joshua. Now we could say, we could talk a bit about Joshua not wanting to leave the presence of God. He, he, he wanted to linger in the presence of God and there's, he does, he's reluctant to leave. That's, maybe that's a good way to find new leaders, those who want to linger in the presence of God. But it's observable, it's tangible. Their senses were telling them, God is with us. We can see it, we can experience it. Now let's spool forward to the New Testament. Matthew 17, Jesus is now with his disciples. Jesus has been born, God with us, Emmanuel. The, the promise of the ages is being fulfilled. And Jesus is amongst the people. It says in Matthew 17, this. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James uh, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Just, as they appeared, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice in the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The disciples fell, and when they heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And they looked up. They saw no one except Jesus. Again, here, even with Jesus with them, there's even more, isn't there? There's this outpouring of glory. There's a, he's transfigured. They see something beyond uh, just natural human beings. They see the presence of God, the cloud. They see that bright light. They, they see uh, just images, visions, Jesus and Moses and Elijah with him. Incredible things. Uh, you get the sense in which it's hard for them to describe even what they saw. And here in this moment, we see something a bit more. We get a bit more detail of what it means to be in the presence of God. It says he, sh he shone like the sun. 
The sun shines radiating power, doesn't it? It radiates power, heat and light and life come from it. The presence of God does that. Life comes, light, revelation, truth about God. The response to the presence of God is what? Is wonder and worship. They fell down before him. Uh, Peter's a bit dazed. He says, decides maybe he's going to start a little building company uh, for these incredible angelic beings, as it were, Moses and Elijah. Uh, you know, doesn't know what he's doing, really. Uh, but there's also revelation about who Jesus is. This is my son, says the voice, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. There's a declaration of, of the gospel, of the truth of God, radiating out from his presence. And then finally, there's reassurance. Get up, says Jesus. Don't be afraid. Wonderful, just seeing something of what the presence of God is and what it does. But you might say at this point, and I wouldn't blame you, you might say, well, hang on, that's all a bit easy, because their normal senses are telling them that something supernatural is happening. They can see, they can sense, they can feel, they can experience it. It's right there tangibly before them. And that doesn't happen so much with us. Of course, we know that as Jesus ascended to heaven, the Spirit of God is poured out at Pentecost and, 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 and the need for the temple, the need for the tabernacle is, is gone. And so now what happens is the Spirit of God fills each of us, God's presence with us. No need for a temple, no cloud, no fire. No visible um, outworking of the presence of God in the same way. And so the question must be this for us. Is the presence of God with them and with us when there is no external evidence, no cloud, no bright light, no shining faces? How do we know? Well, we'll spool forward again quickly to Acts 16. Now we're in Philippi. The mission of the church has begun Paul is on his missionary journey. Silas is with him. Just before the story we'll pick up in verse 22 of Acts 16, what we find is Paul and Silas have just delivered a girl who is enslaved, trafficked, we could say, uh, and she is making money for her owners by telling fortunes, and they deliver her of an evil spirit, and that whole uh, money-making enterprise comes to a halt. The crowd is angry, and in verse 22 it says this, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer who was commanded to guard them was commanded to guard them carefully. They received these orders. He put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called out for lights, rushed in and fell uh, trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and, and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the, of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer looked, took them and washed their wounds. Uh, then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Another amazing story, but it doesn't begin amazing. 
It doesn't begin with glory. It begins with a beating. Paul and Silas were their trouble for helping a young trafficked girl being exploited. What do they get? Well, they get a beating. They get put in prison. They're carefully guarded. They're in stocks. There they are in the dead of night. No bright light. No cloud. Now what? What happens now? There's nothing observable to say that God is with them. Where's the evidence of God's of God's presence? It doesn't feel like God is with them. It feels like they've just been beaten. And yet, and yet, what do they have? <laughs> they have the promises of Jesus. They have the words of Jesus, the Son of God. They know the words that he spoke, I'll always be with you. They knew the words that they had been taught again and again over the years that, that Paul and Silas had learned from the other disciples and they'd heard passed to, the, to them, I will never leave you or forsake you. They knew the truth about who God was and they worshipped. Do you know how they worshipped? They worshipped like he was just at the door. <laughs> they worshipped as if he was in the room. They worshipped like that what they believed, what they heard, what they knew was absolutely the case, that he was with them. They took action in line with the promises of Jesus. And he was. Earthquake, chains fell off, doors swing open, the jailer and his family are all saved and baptised, the church is planted and on they go. So there wasn't the observable presence of God in the same way but there were the promises of God. They didn't wait for something to happen. They believed and took action based upon the words of Jesus. What does this all mean for us? Well, sometimes we feel God's presence, almost like we can reach out and touch it. You know that's true. Sometimes in worship, sometimes in your own times with God, it feels as if God's in the room with you. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? But just to say this, often people who, who don't know God, people who wouldn't call themselves believers or followers of Jesus, they come into a worship meeting or a, come in with other Christians and their comments are things like, what was that? What just happened? And they are reacting to experiencing something of the tangible presence of God, not observable and not seeing clouds and lights and shining faces, but they are experiencing something of the presence of God by his Holy Spirit. And in faith, we press into the truth of God, believing that he will bring his presence. But we're not dependent upon how we feel. And I think we need to get that in our heads too. My reaction, my daily walk is not dependent on whether I feel as if God's with me or not. If that's true, then the next time I get beaten, let's hope it doesn't happen, or jailed, let's hope that doesn't happen, for loving Jesus, I'm all at sea. Because now it feels terrible. So I'm not dependent on how I feel because I have the promises and the truth of God. And as I press into those promises, like it happens when we worship, like happens when we gather to his word, like when we fellowship together, when we pray for one another, when we, when we welcome the Holy Spirit's gifts amongst us, is that the experiences often come with that. But we must lead with the truth about who Jesus is. And let's finish with where we started. 
listen, it's a high and noble call, just like Moses, to say, God, I want to know you. I don't just want experiences. I don't just want gifts. I don't just want to see stuff. No, I do. But actually, underneath that, deep down, I want to know God. I want to know him. I want to know him as a friend. And that's the offer of the gospel, that we can know God, that we can know him close. We can know the reassurance of faith. We can know the absolute certainty that our future is sealed in Jesus' blood. Amen.